Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Great Brazilian team. one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's here now. The goalkeeper's beaten. And South Africa have their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, the game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us on a Wednesday night after the Hawks crush the Orlando Magic. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, Group C today gave us drama all the way down till the very final kick. Argentina comes back after losing the opener. They win the group. Poland barely, and I mean barely, holds on to advance to the knockout round. It was a wild, wild afternoon of games. It taught us a lot about the tiebreakers. We made sure we knew what we were talking about. We got a lot of learning in and looking at yellow cards, fair play. It was a wild afternoon. And I think that, as you say, Poland scraped through by the skin of their teeth and they don't have very much momentum going into the knockout rounds. Poland were horrible. I'm sorry. (laughs) Poland has been horrible in this tournament and they were gutless today. We're going to talk about them. Their goalkeeper was busy. I mean, Mm -hmm. trying to find something positive about it. Hey, Karol Svodersky got to play. Charlotte FC fans were happy about that, but just for 45 minutes. It just seems like they were making poor decisions off of the bench and as you say Chesney was on fire though let's give him some credit I'll give him credit uh Tiago Almada also got to play Atlanta United fans are gonna be very happy about that as well Argentina was in cruise control pretty early in the second half they got the opener early there we'll dig into Poland um when people ask do you want to start with the good news or the bad news I generally like to get the bad out of the way and end on something good So we're going to go in reverse order here. The other part of the Group C story is the failure by Mexico to get out of the group. Uh, They were expected to. It was really, I mean, it was kind of a toss-up between them and Poland, but most people had Mexico finding a way to get it done. They had progressed out of the group stage every time they had been in the tournament since 1978. They missed out in 82. They were suspended from the World Cup in 1990. They've been looking for that fifth game. They've been bounced in a round of 16 so many times, they don't even get to the round of 16 this time. Our old friend Tata Martino, he told the reporters after the match that 
His contract ended with the final whistle. He will not be back for the Mexican national team. There's a lot to unpack for Mexico from this tournament and honestly from the Tata Martino era that ended in failure. Tough pill to swallow for Tata Martino, a guy that obviously has had a really good legacy, but this was a struggle for him. I think that before you even look at Tata as an individual, though, it's a cursed job, really, with the pressure that comes with it. It's a difficult job to end up in. You're not maybe given as much support and resources as our friend Antonio Ramos got into in yesterday's podcast. And it, it was always going to be difficult for him. I think the biggest issue, though, was a little bit of stubbornness in terms of trying to constantly lean on experience rather than embracing the youth, embracing some youngsters. We've seen so much success of young players already in this World Cup and how the gamble can pay off when you give young players an opportunity to shine instead of always relying on the veteran players that are maybe past it. You look at Belgium as an example of that. They need a bit more youth in that team. And I think with Mexico, we're seeing that they just didn't necessarily have the right tactics at times in games, as we know against Argentina in particular. And they just lacked, I don't know, they just lacked clinical play. They lacked a little bit of everything, honestly. And I think the biggest thing, though, for Mexico is to remember today wasn't when Mexico got knocked out. It was the results against Poland. It was the results against Argentina. Today was just the cherry on the top, but I think they were pretty much set up for failure already before this game began. Yeah, when you go back and look at Mexico in this tournament, uh, the Poland game was a toss-up. That was their toughest one. That's what started the tournament. That's a little bit unlucky from a scheduling perspective. It is what it is, but in this tournament with getting players together late, you'd like to have a game under your belt before you have that kind of game. I thought the tactics against Argentina were, were pretty woeful, um, mm -hmm. way too defensive. And when they got going, when they opened up after Argentina scored, they looked pretty good. They looked good today when they were wide open and going for it, especially when the goal started flying into the second half. They're not the team that they were before Raul Jimenez had the awful injury mm -hmm. to his skull. They're not the same team. Um, he's not the same player. He also came in with a different injury into this tournament. Chicharito should have been called in. Um, mm -hmm. We don't know the whole story. And I don't think this was purely Tata Martino's decision. I don't think he's got a vendetta against Chicharito. There, there's an incident that has been talked about with Chicharito going back to the previous regime. So is that keeping him out? Is it something else? Is, is it politics? And there's a lot of politics in the Mexican Federation. People look at soccer in the U.S. and all the politics around it, and there's plenty. It's nowhere close to how it is in Mexico because the club owners in the first division in Mexico, Liga MX, they're the ones who really run the federation, which means they run the national team. They're not always looking out for the federation or the national team's best interests. They're looking out for their their wallets. They're looking mm -hmm. out for their business. So it's it's very complicated. And there have been times in Mexico's national team history where that's really gotten out of whack. Now, one time in the past when that happened, Mexico made some rules at the league level 
to really promote bringing through young players, playing them, getting them valuable minutes. Mexico had a great run with youth national teams and the U23s at the Olympics. It hasn't continued. And you're at a point now where you have veterans and you have unproven kids. Tata Martino is always going to lean to the veterans. He always has. We watched it here in Atlanta. He did it with Argentina before that. That's his MO. That's what mm-hmm. he trusts. That's how he coaches. Well, you're going to have to do something different now. And I mean, there's already talk about Piojo Herrera coming back into the job. That would be crazy. Hugo Sanchez, I'm sure, is holding a boombox outside of the Mexican Federation offices right now trying to get the job because he's always trying to get the job back. That would be crazy. Uh, There's probably five other coaches who have previously been the national team coach who are trying to get the job. I'm sure Vucetich is, is hanging around somewhere. That would all be crazy. They've got to look at somebody different. That doesn't mean they have to go outside of Mexico, Mm -hmm. but they can't go to a retread at this point. They're going to be co-hosting a World Cup in three and a half years, and that process starts right now for Mexico. It does, and I think the fans are desperate for it. We know Mexican soccer fans are extremely passionate. You saw it in the stadium, the disappointment, the heartbreak. The expectation was high, and it was just very underwhelming. Did you see the quote from um, Ochoa, though, that he'll be back for another World Cup? Memo is ageless. I think it's the power of his hair. He has wonderful hair. He's going to have more shampoo ads, I'm sure. Um, If he ever starts losing his hair, he'll have to retire. That's when it happens, right? That's the last leg for him. Yes, that's when it's done. Um, He finds that Superman cape every four years, so I'm not putting it past him. Memo Ochoa was not the problem for Mexico in this tournament. Um, Chucky Lozano was not the problem for Mexico in this tournament. He had a good tournament. Luis Chavez is now a star. Uh, If he wasn't before the free kick goal today, he should have been. He (laughs) has been brilliant with Pachuca in Liga MX. He's 26. He will be in Europe, I believe. It would not shock me if the January window is very kind to Pachuca's wallet and to Luis Chavez's wallet. He's been brilliant in the midfield. Um, I mean, other standouts, Edson Alvarez is a player that, you know, I, I think of very highly. He's at Ajax, uh, can play in the back, can play as a holding midfielder. He's got a bright future. Uh, Henry Martin is somebody who hasn't really scored much for them. He's had opportunities. He got one today. Uh, Cesar Montes in the back, Jesus Gallardo. These are guys that, you know, okay, they stepped up a little bit. The 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 older generation of Guardado and Herrera probably done at this point. Memo being a goalkeeper, he might be able to go one more cycle. We'll just have mm-hmm. to see. Um, but it's going to have to look really different. And I think the coaching side of it has to look really different. If they hire a retread, It's not good. You've got to move on. I think that sometimes people cling on to history, right? They cling on to what's familiar and you've got to take a gamble and restart. There's not very much of a core that you can hold on to at this point. You need to find some fresh blood. You need to really sort things out because you don't want another Qatar performance as a host nation. We saw how embarrassing it was for Qatar getting knocked out you know, so early in the group stages, Mexico will not be okay with not making it out the group when they're playing on home soil. That would be just the worst imaginable situation. No, that fracaso. That, that would be an absolute disaster if if that happened. And 
Look, I mean, if you're Mexico right now, and we're going to get into the rest of the group in our next segment and talk Argentina and talk Poland and, and project ahead a little bit. Um, if you're Mexico right now, you're the number three team in CONCACAF. Flat out. And I don't think that's ever been the case. I, I, I don't think that has ever happened in the history of this game, that Mexico has been the third best team in CONCACAF. U.S. and Mexico have been back and forth over the years, really since 1991 when the U.S. beat Mexico with the Gold Cup. It's been back and forth. Each one's had their runs. But Canada is right there. There's more people talking about Canada in a positive light after this tournament than Mexico. Maybe a little bit unfairly because they've been very naive as well. But the U.S., forget it. They, they got to the next round. Canada's not. Mexico's not. They what can... a chip! What a chip on the shoulder that's going to put on the Mexicans, though. Do you know what I mean? Like that 100%. is a very bad thing when you're prideful. You're used to being the stars of Concap. You're used to being the soccer nation, right? People connect soccer with your country more than maybe they do with the U.S. and Canada. That's not the case anymore. Everyone's seeing the growth in the U.S. and it's a great thing. For the CONCACAF region, though, you want teams to be knocking on the door. You want teams to be improving because that's how you get better, right? Because this should put a fire under Mexico and improve them over the next three years because they have to if they're going to regain that name of being one of the strongest in CONCACAF. It should, but we've also seen many times when this has happened, they've looked to the past to try to make it back there instead of. Canada's not going anywhere. They're young. You got to look into the future. You got to look behind you with Costa Rica. Very young group starting to break through for them. The veterans are going to make way. And then the rest of CONCACAF is growing as MLS has grown. You know, there's more options for players to play. You're going to see Honduras. You're going to see Guatemala. You're going to see Jamaica. You're going to see all of these countries. Haiti. You're going to see all these countries start to push. Mexico's got to get it right. It's critical for them in the next cycle. We're going to come back in five minutes. We're going to talk about the rest of Group C. Argentina wins it. Poland is second. They're both advancing to the knockout round. We'll look at what's ahead for both of them when Atlanta Soccer, Atlanta Soccer Tonight returns on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We got to finish up everything in Group C. We've we've talked about Mexico. They've got a lot of work to do, and they've got to get this higher after Tata Martino right. Poland's got a lot of work to do as well. They have not looked great in this tournament, but they did enough to get through. Um, I just saw a headline about Poland's performance today, and it said that they advanced by playing jabroni soccer. I (laughs) kind of tend to agree with that because this was gutless. This was meek. It was just bad Um, to the point that they're counting yellow cards to make sure they're good. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I got to get your thoughts on the penalty that was given to Argentina as a member of GK Union. I'm sure you have thoughts about that. Very, very, very strong thoughts. And listen, letter of the law. I've seen uncles. I've seen her tweet. I did not see her tweet. What did Christina say? She said, of course, it's a foul. The goalkeeper makes contact with his face. And I saw the explanation from the pundits where they said, well, yes, it was a good point from Clattenburg. If it's with their feet, yeah, it would have been a penalty. But we always treat goalkeepers differently. We do. We always treat them differently. (laughs) There is always an unwritten rule that there's going to be physical contact. There's going to be, you know, I don't know. There's going to be challenges like that in the box. And I feel like before VAR, no one's given that a penalty. I don't think they are. I really don't think. Very rare. Yeah, very rare. Yeah, in the run of play, it's not going to be given as a penalty. If they're going to consistently do that, we're going to see more penalties for stuff like that. Because I'll tell you, there have been many a time that I have punched a forward in the face. There have been many a times that I have need a forward trying to jump for a ball and not got it, you know. And I guess, letter of the law, these are fouls. But I don't want to see that coming into the game consistently because goalkeeping is already hard enough. It's kind of like my frustration with the rules about goalkeepers coming off their line for the penalty. I get it. But you've already got such a disadvantage there. If you're looking at it in matters of millimeters, you're already making what is a difficult job even harder. I don't like the foul. I'm 
glad Messi had it saved, not because I don't like Messi, but I feel like karma came round. And as I said, the ball doesn't lie, Jason. They say ball don't lie, and it didn't in this case. Um, I, I hate the conversation that we get sometimes from referees about referee decisions. You don't have to tell me, obviously, it's a foul, or yes, it's a foul, or by the letter of the law, it's a foul. We, we know that. We know that part. This is a gray area. Now, Clattenburg is right, and, and I liked his way of putting it better than anybody else because it's right. We see it sometimes given as a penalty when a defender slides through, catches an attacker after the shot is, is gone, and a penalty is given. The difference is, and Mark Clattenburg is not going to throw the referee under the bus here. Yes. He's He has a little bit in this tournament at times, so I mean, I'll, I'll give him some credit for that, but the difference is the amount of contact. And in this, it wasn't very much. If if it had been an elbow, yeah, okay, then we're having a different conversation. Just like if somebody comes across and it studs up, then obviously if they come across with hard force and catch somebody late, uh, Atlanta United got a penalty in 2021 after a Brooks Lennon cross for something like that, where a player came through very forceful mm -hmm. after the ball was delivered. That okay, that made sense. This was not forceful. You sometimes feel these are sort of challenges that are like soccer challenges, right? The nature of the game, kind of those coming mm -hmm. together that are going to happen. And I get with refereeing, you have to have specific letter of the law, you have to have specific definitions. But sometimes I think calls are made by people that haven't been in those scenarios, that haven't worn the gloves of the goalkeeper and things like that. You saw in Chesney's reaction, right? He yeah. had a little chuckle. He was baffled. He had a little chuckle and he felt good about saving the penalty. And what was the stat? Messi became the first or second, second player to miss two penalties in the world cup. Yeah. Um, but also in 1986, Diego Maradona missed a penalty in the third game for Argentina and they went on to win the thing. So people are, are looking at that side are of it. Are you foreshadowing something here, Jason? Hey, I'm just saying this is this is in the, the it's on the social media. It's on the bird app. That's what people are talking about. So keep that in mind. Um, I, I what I wish would happen in these situations is the governing body or in this case, the whoever's overseeing it. Let, let's get Pierre Luigi Kalina out to talk about it. To come out and say, yes, letter of the law, a penalty can be given there. However, we don't want a penalty be, to be given for that level of contact. Mm -hmm. Then we know where the line is. That's all we want. Um, it ultimately didn't matter because Argentina got a goal early in the second half through Alexis McAllister. Then they get another one from Julian Alvarez, and mm -hmm. Argentina ends up winning the group. Now, what got interesting in this, <laughs> where we're counting goals, we're counting goals against, we're counting yellow cards for teams, because there was a long stretch where the second-place team in the group was going to be Poland over Mexico, not based on points, not based on goal differential, which is the next tiebreaker, not based on goals scored, which is the next tiebreaker, because that was even, not based on head-to-head -head because it was a scoreless draw, but based on FIFA fair play points. And just in case it comes up later mm -hmm. in the tournament, you get four points for a straight red. You get three points for a second yellow that turns into a red. That It's just three points. You don't get extra points for the yellow. And you get one point for every yellow. This came down, if that had stayed, it ended up not being the, the deciding factor. 
But if that had stayed, Poland would have went through because they had two fewer yellow cards. That's that's how even it was. That's better than what it used to be. I was asked on Twitter about what how things used to go, and I've I've seen the drawing of lots. There yeah. was a, a group in 1990 where I think everybody, or no, there were there were two teams tied for second and third. They were both going through because third place teams got through at that point mm-hmm. if they were at a certain level, whatever. And it was just to decide who went where, and it was drawing of lots. You go further back. They've done some crazy things. They, they've had playoff games. They've had replays. They played in 1954 extra time in group matches to try to have a winner. I take that though. I would over over at least the drawing of lots. I would take it. I, I saw a tweet talking about the fact the stadiums were four miles apart. They can go for a midnight penalty shootout. <laughs> that I think been it awesome. could be discovered using the ball. I think. The fair play, okay, I get it. It's an important part of the game, right? I think it's harder in this tournament because of the way it's been instructed to be refereed in terms of uh, yellows being used Mm -hmm. to stamp on authority because it hasn't been done completely consistently and maybe we're seeing more yellow cards than usual. So now this fair play thing is looking even more difficult, you know? It's better than going to drawing of lots at that stage. Anything is better than that. Like that should be eradicated. There has to be something you can do with the ball. I don't care. Keepy uppy challenge, dizzy penalties, anything that involves a soccer ball above drawing of lots. <laughs> a keepy uppy challenge on Zoom in case the, the teams are on opposite sides of the country and can't soccer get tennis. We can do some soccer tennis. Pick well, you got to have them close, though. We're not going to have it. We can't have a, a soccer tennis matchup in Kansas City if the <laughs> two teams that are separated are in Atlanta and in you know L.A. next time around. So. We've got to figure that out. The worst tiebreak I've ever heard of, and I found this out today, this was in qualifying for 1954. Spain and Turkey uh, played two games. They they both finished even. They didn't go to goal differential or any of that at this point. They didn't get to play a, a third game to decide it. After the, the, or after the, sorry, the playoff game was tied. So after that, they don't go to penalties. What they do is a 14-year-old kid was blindfolded and no. pick the name out of a hat. No, 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 you're messing. No, I'm not. Who is that 14 year old kid? Was it like a charity thing that he got selected? For? I don't know. He picked Turkey out of the hat instead of Spain. So he's probably not very well liked in Spain after that. But yeah, that happened. That was in qualifying for 1954. Luckily, no blindfolded kids were involved in <laughs> this kids. group. Um, Saudi Arabia pulled one back, and it wasn't over for Mexico at that point, though. If they had scored, they would have went through on goals scored, and they didn't get it. They had a couple shouts. They had a couple scares late, but they weren't able to pull it off. Argentina wins the group after losing game one. We've seen that happen where teams are losing game one in this tournament and advancing. Argentina got to win the group. Senegal wasn't able to pull that one off. What do you think of Argentina after seeing them in these last two games? I think that defeat was a wake-up call. Honestly, I think it may well have been one of the best things to happen to Argentina in terms of waking them up, preventing any complacency. We know the win streak or the unbeaten streak that they were on, right? And sometimes it's better to have that unbeaten streak broken early on, and then you can start rebuilding your own momentum. I think that Argentina's in a far more favorable position and say Poland, who's now going into the knockout round after getting through on a loss, 
there's no momentum there when you get beaten you get embarrassed you get shown up on the field and then you have to play again like i just think it's wild honestly based on that performance and they don't deserve to be in that round argentina looking quality they've got great players on the pitch they've got good chemistry they look like they're finding a bit more of the stride they they never looked in threat against poland you know they never looked like poland was going to threaten them i don't remember a good save emmy martinez had to make in goal at all and i think that just shows that they were dominant in possession and honestly if i was a mexico fan i'm not gonna lie it would have frustrated the heck out of me watching that last 20 minutes once they put their foot off the gas and were just enjoying playing the possession it looked like a game of keep away if you were sat there rooting for mexico you'd have been begging and begging that they tried to penetrate because they had more goals in them without a doubt yeah they did but they didn't need them and poland really had no interest in doing anything else either so yeah that one kind of saw itself out one person who came in a house of fire was tiago almada I almost ran over Lionel Messi at one point because he was wanting to take a shot at the top of the 18. Didn't quite come off. He looked lively. It's awesome to see him get his debut. Um, he's going to be a mainstay for the Argentine national team. Enzo Fernandez is about the same age. He needs to be a mainstay right now. He did get the start today. Uh, Julian Alvarez got the start over Lautaro Martinez, and he needs to continue to start. He just gives them something different. Um, I don't think the game one was a wake-up call. I think, if anything, it was just a reminder that they can play well and still get beat at this stage. And they, you go back in that game. We went through all the offside decisions that went against them. I mean, you're probably like seven centimeters away from winning that game 4-0 at halftime. You know, mm -hmm. it's just it's, – it's one of those days. I think the response – they looked like they were feeling the pressure a little bit against Mexico for a while. Then they started to play their game and knock the ball around in their way. And this is a team that plays a little bit differently than, than some of the other heavyweights in this tournament. They're trying to create individual moments. They're trying to create 1v1s. Uh, it, it is positional play to a degree, but they will keep possession in the final third and recycle and recycle and recycle and recycle until they get what they want. And the second goal, uh, Julian Alvarez showed that. It was a 27-pass sequence. Lionel Messi did something today, too, besides missing the penalty that hadn't happened since uh, Diego Maradona did it in 1994 in his last World Cup game. Oldest player on record to create five-plus chances and make five-plus dribbles in a World Cup match. The last one was Maradona against Nigeria. The last game he played before he tested positive for doping sanctions in that game. And he was uh, banned from the rest of the tournament. I don't think Lionel Messi is going to be banned from the rest of this tournament. He's going to need to continue playing at this level. And I think it's starting to grow. Group D didn't go as anyone expected either. It had its own drama today. We'll be back in five minutes to talk about all of that as Atlanta soccer tonight returns on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Atlanta Soccer tonight, back on 92.9 Game and the Odyssey app. We're here throughout the World Cup every night during the tournament, breaking everything down, and now we're getting ready for the round of 16 coming up really, really quickly on Saturday, USA Netherlands. We're going to dig deeper into that before we go tonight. But, Jess, Group D, it wasn't supposed to go this way. We Senegal in Group A lost game 1-2-0. They found their way into the next round. Argentina lost their first game 2-1. They found their way into winning their group. Australia lost their first game 4-1 to France. And they're going dancing in the round of 16. Those celebrations, Jason, were like no other. Watching the Aussies on that pitch celebrate, watching the fans. There was just something so special about it because they were the ultimate underdog. And I think we saw how heartbreaking it was for them against France to take the lead, to do quite a good job early on and then just crumble. I think that's how we described it, right? We said they crumbled. We said that almost getting that goal didn't give them confidence. They ended up looking worse after scoring a goal. They were able to make amends with that and they've developed across the tournament. They've grown together and they handled this game very, very well against the Danish. I thought they did exactly what they needed to do. They were kings of the counterattack. They really were able to defend well. Uh, Matty Ingol had a fantastic performance, I might add. He was here, there, everywhere, flying across the goal. 
and they look very, very good. I was impressed with the way they played, Jason. I'm sure our friend Liam Curran was uh, with the kids yelling Aussie, 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 oi, 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 all day after that. If you haven't seen the videos from Australia, where I think it was 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. Insanity. That seems like a place that you'd like to be there when their national team does something because, wow. Um, (laughs) Australia is the third team in World Cup history to concede four goals in their first match and get through. Uh, it was not pretty at all at halftime and at the final whistle. Matty Ryan completed and attempted more passes than any Australian player. You want a glimpse of the uh, possession numbers? There you go. Passing accuracy was under 70%. It was bad, but they didn't really care because they got what they needed a brilliant counterattack. Denmark had to win, they had to push things forward. But the timing of all of this was really interesting. So we take a step back and we look at the group as a whole. 58th minute, Tunisia took the lead on a completely rotated France Mm -hmm. side. That put Tunisia into the round of 16 at that stage. 58th minute. The games were supposed to kick off at the same time in each half, but this is the organizing committee that couldn't even get the opening kickoff of the tournament timed right with the stadium PA guy. (laughs) So like the Mexico and Argentina games, they were off by like two and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if the Australians knew that Tunisia had scored and they had to score to go through. I don't know if they knew that it sure looked like they did because it was two minutes later and Denmark pushed everybody forward. They're creating an opportunity. They've done well with their possession in this tournament, but the goals have not come. And they had a turnover at the top of the 18, and it was a quick, perfectly timed counter for Australia. And Matthew Leckie gets it done, a player that we've talked about on the show, a player that is that guy who can flip the field for them and make something happen when you're not going to get a ton of opportunities. Leckie puts Australia into the next round. It was a perfect transition. They moved with speed. They had the right pass. And it wasn't an easy finish for Lecky, but he no. made it look easy with duking the defender, slotting it in. Fantastic under that much pressure to be able to find the back of the net. I wonder if Denmark will regret the fact they gambled so heavily, putting everybody up. You sent me a picture and they had all 11 players pretty much up in you know, the attacking third. They took a risk. Yes, they needed goals. They needed a win. But at the same time, when you've still got 20 plus minutes left in the game, maybe you saved quite that risk a little bit longer because you made your mountain that much bigger to climb once you conceded the goal. It's tough. It's tough to decide when you let loose and go. And I think Denmark has had a really frustrating tournament, Um, not just because I picked them to make a run to the final or anything, uh, (laughs) but they have, I don't think they've played horribly in the tournament. I, I think their their defense has been pretty good. Their midfield has been pretty good. They're moving the ball from the, the defensive third to the middle third. Pretty good. Final third hasn't been there. They, they haven't had that focal point in the attack. They haven't looked dangerous in the attack, maybe outside of the response to France going up 1-0 on them. They didn't look dangerous in game one against Tunisia, a really good defensive team. 
and he didn't look dangerous today against Australia, a really good defensive team. It was a, a tough group, a tougher group than we expected. Tunisia and Australia were, were much more difficult to deal with. And Denmark never really got going at all in this tournament. It was sad at the end, watching the players go over to their fans and trying to show their appreciation because you just saw the look in these players' eyes and this wasn't how they expected it to go. I think they felt quite good about their team going into this. They felt quite good about the personnel, as they should. They've got a lot of quality on that pitch, but they just weren't able to get it done. And look, you can defend all you like, but you need goals to push. You need to be able to finish those opportunities because you can't see games out nil-nil all the time. It's not going to work for you. And I think they had a couple of opportunities, but their finishing wasn't there. They weren't clean enough. They weren't clinical enough. It, it honestly looked like they were so nervous in front of goal on some of these opportunities that were far easier than they made them look with some big misses and some opportunities where, you know, I, I think the goalkeeper made a couple of very good saves for Australia, but they were shots that should have never been able to be saved by the goalkeeper in terms of the range they were at. Yeah, credit to Tunisia in this group as well. Uh, they made a fight of it. Wabi Kazri got the goal, fifth consecutive goal he's been involved in for Tunisia. Going back to the 2018 World Cup, he's the first African player to score in three consecutive starts at a World Cup. Uh, again, going back to 2018. They they did what they do. They came in, they defended well, um, they took advantage of a heavily rotated France team, and they beat France today. They did everything that they possibly could, but they weren't able to get the result they needed against Australia. And that's really what it came down to for them. So they go home. Denmark goes home. France wins the group. Uh, they did have to rotate heavily today. Didier Deschamps talked about it to French radio afterwards, and he said that some players were at risk talking about injury, and we had just played in two high-intensity matches. Uh, it allowed the substitutes to see the difference in quality in a World Cup match. Kylian Mbappe is one of those, uh, dealing with an ankle issue, going back to his time with PSG before the World Cup. They've played 24 players. That's the first time that's ever happened, because usually it's a 23-man squad. William Saliba came in, and he was the 24th member of the squad to play. Um, does that worry you at all about France, that they had to rotate so heavily? There's concern about some injuries going forward. and the rotated guys in today didn't look that great. Yeah, I think it's a signal that maybe the squad depth isn't quite where they would like it to be. And their squad would have been deeper if they hadn't lost so many people pre-World uh, Cup because those people that were starters that would have been in the squad would have been your starters. And then your starters now may have been on the bench. So I think they've struggled a lot with injuries, as you say. There's something in that camp that is really causing difficulties for them. Nonetheless, if you flip it on a positive, yeah, they didn't get the job done, but at least they were exposed to World Cup minutes. At least they're exposed to a competitive game. You're now going to be bringing in subs that at least have minutes under their belt before. And I think that that is a beneficial thing. But the Mbappe injury concerns. I mean, and I know it's out of precaution. Yeah. But you're still worried that he's not feeling 110% because right now he's the player that France has been looking to to bail them out and, and to really be the leader there to finish the goals. He's looked 110%. So I, I think it is total precaution. We'll see. Uh, they play Poland in the round of 16 as the bracket's <laughs> starting to take shape. Uh, 
Poland's going to sit back. They're going to ask Wojciech Chesney to make 10 saves. Um, they always have Robert Lewandowski up top who can, can ruin your day really fast. And in a knockout game, that's not the kind of player you want to see on the other side. I've always felt like when you get into these games, Jess, you, you need a couple things to go your way, obviously, in a knockout game. But you need to have a player who can either keep you in a game, mm-hmm. and that can be a defender, that can be a goalkeeper, and you need a player who can win you a game. Poland has that. Both. Yeah, they, they haven't looked good in tournament, but Chesney can keep you in a game, and Robert Lewandowski can win a game. They could be dangerous. Yeah, I think the other thing is that they're going to be a team that feels almost lucky to be there. I think they're going to look back and realize that, hey, we didn't play our best football so far. Hey, we've struggled in times, and maybe that's going to be what motivates them now. It's almost like this one got away, right? We didn't show what we can do in the group stage. Now we've really got to show what we can do in the knockout round. We need to beat the best to compete, and you're getting an opportunity right now to make a statement against the France side. I do think it's going to be encouraging to them, even though I know it was a heavily rotated squad. It's good to see that they're not invincible. It's good to see that teams have scored goals. Even in the Australia, big emphatic 4-1, they did concede a goal. And these are things that give an opponent hope. They give them a little bit of motivation. And I think that on paper, listen, and if Poland plays the way they've played during the group stages, France will have no issues. I'll tell you that. But... If Poland is able to get this group together and play like they played in some of the qualifiers and in the Nations League when they were playing well, then they could be more dangerous than we think. I don't think France keeps a clean sheet in this. I, I don't. I, I don't trust them defensively. I think their attack is brilliant, but I don't trust them defensively. And that could end up being something that comes back to bite them. So on that side of the bracket, France and Poland, England and Senegal. You're getting a little worried about Senegal, aren't you? <laughs> that was private information, Jason. Ah. I'm very confident. I don't want to pe- show people that I have these worries, but no, ah. I am. Ah, I, I don't. I don't like it as a draw. Uh, I don't. I think that Senegal's got a real fight about them. I think they've got a real belief about them. I think they've got quality on the pitch. We know what Sar can do at this level. We know what he can do against English audiences and English teams. And I think England has been hit. And miss, honestly, I think that we've had the best England that we've seen, but we've also seen some very not good England. And it depends who steps up and shows the way they can play. The one thing that does give me hope is the fact that we have a lot of experience over the last two big international tournaments in knockout games. We've managed to get to a semi and a final, so we know how to handle these moments. But I think that there's a lot of English people back home, just how they did against the US. It's funny that they don't learn their lesson, but they are overestimating themselves against the Senegal side and maybe not giving the respect to Senegal that they deserve. They have quality on both ends of the pitch as well. And if England doesn't put together a complete 90-minute performance, which I think is something that we've struggled to do, even against Iran, I think there was 10, 15 minutes where we didn't look very good. If you can't put together 90 minutes in the knockout stages, who knows what that 10, 15 minutes of not playing well can do to you. That's one side of the bracket. The other one, USA, Netherlands, and Australia and Argentina. Pack defense for Australia. Argentina is going to have to break that down. The Netherlands and U.S. We're going to dig into the scouting report when we come back on the Atlanta Soccer Tonight show tonight. You're going to take a look at the clockwork orange of the Netherlands. 
They've got a tried and trusted weapon that worries me a little bit. Find out who that is when we're back in five minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Hanging out on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Talking World Cup, getting ready for Saturday. The biggest game the U.S. has played in a long time. Round of 16 against the Netherlands. Jason Longshore and Jessica Charman here. We're going to give you a little bit of a scouting report into the Netherlands. Let's start with the kind of the the vibe around this team. And it's not good, Jess, when you have the manager telling journalists to go home after getting out of the group stage. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. And I think that a lot of the fans, the Dutch fans, are worried about this team. They're not enjoying the style of soccer. The manager has been quite highly criticized by fans in the country about maybe being too rigid, maybe being too structured and maybe being a little outdated. There's always been a very specific style of play that the Netherlands have wanted to do. But at the end of the day, we see it with teams, right? You have to adjust. You have to change to the times as the game develops. And I know that a lot of Dutch fans have been quite outspoken about being very concerned about their side going forward just because of the nature of the way they play. And not really setting the world on fire during the group stage, despite topping the group. Yeah, it's it's a little complicated when we talk about the Netherlands. And we're going to go like total nerd here, because I think the backstory is important in understanding how they're coming into this game. Uh, you think the English media is a little mm-hmm. crazy at times. We think like SEC football coverage is a little crazy at times. No, 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 no. None of it matches up to the Dutch because it's not like Mexico where they're just angry all the time at their manager if they don't beat everybody. It's not like England where maybe the tabloids drive a lot of it. That's mm. happening more with SEC football these days. It's not like that. They get so angry about style. They get mm-hmm. so angry about the aesthetic of it. They, they get angry about these things to the point that descriptions of their last game and their games in this tournament, uh, one said they were sleepwalking, uh, the Telegraph. Um, Volksgrant complained that it was bone dry. That's okay. Um, 
another one told Louis Van Hall, the manager, to his face that watching them is like grinding teeth. And <laughs> that's when Louis said, uh, if you think it's boring, why don't you go home? So, yeah, that's the vibe coming into this game. Um, Louis Van Hall is a very interesting figure. Um, one, he probably doesn't care what the journalists have to say at this point. He's battling cancer. So uh, he's got some more important things that he's yeah. probably worrying about. And I don't think he ever really cared about what the journalists had to say anyway, because he's always been a combative guy. He's the opposite of Johan Cruyff and Johan Cruyff's style. And he was a legendary player for the Netherlands, one mm -hmm. of the greatest to ever play the game, one of the greatest coaches to ever play the game. But his his coaching was very gut feeling, very instinctual. He didn't really have it rigid. Louis van Hall was not the player that Johan Cruyff was. He was a workmanlike kind of player, um, never got to that point. And his interpretation of the Dutch style, because they were both influenced by the same people, the same ideas, mm -hmm. his interpretation took the artistic side out of it because he never had that as a player. So he tried to put form to it. He tried to put structure to it. He tried to make it where anybody could replicate it. That's not easy to do. And that's not as artistic as what the Dutch love with the attacking mm -hmm. free flowing and all that. So you, you've always had that issue. You know, we, we saw it here with Frank DeBoer. Frank DeBoer is one of the, the Dutch coaches who was actually heavily influenced by both. So that's a, a really interesting dichotomy because Cruyff and Van Hall didn't get along <laughs> at all. Um, really bad. So, what Louis did more than anything with the Dutch style, we know the Dutch style is 4-3-3. The 4-3-3 the system really came out of the Netherlands and, and they exported it everywhere. So what Louis did kind of flipped it to a 3-4-3, which Cruyff would do as well sometimes against certain opponents and, you know, depending on the players that he had. But Van Hall feels better about three center backs. He feels better about the structure of that. And he's went to more of a 3-5-2, although it's interesting how this tournament has gone, Jess, because they started with a traditional two forwards in their 3-5-2 in game one. Uh, that changed really quickly. Vincent Janssen out of the group. Uh, Steven Bergwijn stayed in. Cody Gakpo went from being a 10 to a forward. So it, it kind of changed the way the, the team was aligned. Gakpo is not a traditional number nine. Uh, he played with Memphis Depay in the last game. Uh, Memphis Depay has been injured the season for mm -hmm. Barcelona. He doesn't look good in this tournament right now at all. They've got a couple of, of big number nines if they want to go down that route, if they need to. Uh, Wout Weghorst and uh, Luke de Jong, big guys. They can play the long ball. They can play the crosses. They can go that way if they have to. But it's a 3-5-2 kind of with Gakpo in a very free role. It's not the easiest thing to play against if you're the U.S. No, it's unpredictable. It's also difficult when you're talking about the Netherlands switching up personnel. You don't really know exactly how they're going to set up, what option they're going to go with. And that makes it harder to prepare because it's very easy when you are playing against a side that's been unchanged in five, six games, or it's very predictable and you can circle out, you can watch, you can decide who the players are you need to watch and adjust your style a little bit and tinker around to suit the game. You don't really know what the Dutch are going to bring to you. I think that 
they've been hit or miss. Yes, they've got results out, but have they got results out by playing brilliant soccer and looking threatening all the time? I wouldn't say so. No, I don't think they have. Um, they looked good at the end of the Senegal game. They could have lost that game earlier. Uh, they ended up getting two kind of late goals. Ecuador game was a toss-up, ends 1-1, and they beat Qatar. Qatar was already eliminated. Qatar wasn't very good in this tournament. You know, I don't really know what to make of the Dutch right now. Uh, here's what we know, and here's what's been somewhat consistent. Again, the 3-5-2 that's maybe a little more fluid with Gakpo as a forward. Mm -hmm. uh, Andres Nopert, the goalkeeper, had not played for the Netherlands before this tournament. Um, late bloomer. He'd been in the second division up to fairly recently. He'd even been out of contract not that long ago. He's six foot eight, a mm -hmm. monster in goal. Uh, but he's gotten down quickly. Um, one thing that he does not give them at that Van Hall and everybody who follows the Dutch want is he's not great with the ball at his feet. He's six foot eight. Um, it's not typical for the the big guys like that to have the foot skills. So that's an issue for them. He is going to punt. He's going to throw. He's not going to be involved in the buildup. That's why the three center backs are really important. But that opens up a window for the U.S. to press and try to force the ball back to him. Yeah, 100%. And that would be my game plan right away. And if the ball's forced back to him, then you have to press high on the keeper. A lot of the times when you're playing against a goalkeeper that you know is good with the ball at his feet, you drop off that press, right? You start yeah. to cut out his options instead. For me, you don't with this goalkeeper. You actually go directly across him and make him have to make a difficult decision with the ball at his feet. Goalkeepers that are nervous with the ball at their feet will show it. They will be shaky and there will be one opportunity where he messes up without a doubt. The other good thing with the US and their high press is defenders know when goalkeepers don't want the ball back at their feet as well. Defenders know that outlet is not there bar in an emergency situation. That's going to make defenders struggle when they lose that one extra outlet pass. They're going to have to look to play around to each other. I think the energy and the excitement and the determination and the miles that this U.S. men's national team is willing to put in their legs during a game could really freak out this Dutch defense and goalkeeper. The Defense, I'm not as worried about, honestly. I think now that they settled on dropping Delict and who was horrible in the first <laughs> game, just absolutely horrible. I uh, replaced him with Jerry and Timber, who I thought should have started anyway. Timber's good on the ball. He can dribble forward. Nathan Ake, good on the ball. He can dribble forward and break lines. Virgil van Dijk has had a good tournament. He, he was kind of in a little bit of a bad run of form with Liverpool. I, I don't think that's unfair. Um, but he's one of the best center backs in the world. And yeah. he's good on the ball. So, like, they'll be fine. We'll come back to the wingbacks in a second. Um, it's been a rotating cast in the central midfield around Frankie de Jong. Davy Klassen has, has really stepped up to be the 10 with Gakpo moving up to the top line. Klassen is somebody who can sit deeper if they're under pressure, but he can play a 10 role as well. He's not all that dynamic, but he's a very good passer. Um, Gakpo will be up top. I don't know if it's going to be Bergwijn or Depay. Uh, I think they'd love for it to be Depay. He's not ready. I no. don't think. I don't think. I think that they're clinging on to the Depay that can be so good, but he's not that Depay right now. And when you put him on the pitch, I think you're sacrificing a lot at the hope he's going to be able to play the way that he can. Here's what worries me, though. Uh, their wingbacks are very good and they're very different on the two sides uh denzel dumfries on the right side 
He's going to bomb up and down the line. He's going to try to get in behind Anthony Robinson. You want to pin him so he's got to stay and defend rather than impact the game in the attacking half. Daily Blend on the left, veteran. You can pin him. He'll sit back deeper. He's fine with that. But his left foot is magical. It's still magical. Um, go back to the, the 2014 domination of the Netherlands over Spain in the first group stage game. And you'll probably remember the goal from Robin Van Persie, the header that he he dives at the top of the 18 mm. and somehow like heads a looping header over the, the goal. Flying fish. Yeah. I mean, the, the Dutch commentators are yelling like, pop in the face. It's crazy. That's an incredible ball from Daily Blend. Incredible. He's still got that. That worries me about him hitting that ball and getting in behind with Gakpo's pace, with Steven Bergwijn's pace, or if they go with one of the big number nines up top who can can really cause the U.S. some problems. We'll talk more this week about what the U.S. should do in response to, to what they do know about the Netherlands, what we've seen from the U.S. We'll get into that as we go this week, but that's there's some interesting issues that you're going to have to deal with when you face the clockwork orange. All right, count your juice boxes. We're going to take a look at the Thursday games in just three minutes coming up on Atlanta Soccer tonight. Hang out with us on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Now we're back with more of our look at all of today's matches on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Let's go! On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. Final segment, Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Jess, we got to look ahead to four games tomorrow. Group F and Group E are concluding. Group F goes first at 10 a.m. It's Croatia and Belgium, Canada and Morocco. Croatia and Morocco both come in on four points. Belgium's on three. Canada is already out. Belgium has been the worst team of the big dogs in this tournament, in my opinion. Do you think they can dial it up to face Croatia? I'm not expecting it at all. It's the biggest disappointment we can think about in terms of the quality they have on the pitch, right? And the way that they've ended up performing. We alluded to it. I think I sort of predicted that they may struggle at least once they were out of the group to continue because of the age, mm -hmm. because of the seniority, yep. because of the fact this golden generation isn't golden anymore. They're in the twilight years rather than the best years of their life. There's part of me that thinks that maybe they'll give it a really good go. I, I don't know if they've got enough, but I think the biggest man is Kevin De Bruyne. Mm -hmm. He needs to step up. He hasn't been good enough this tournament in terms of being the Kevin De Bruyne that we've seen at the club level who can connect, who can bring others into the action, who can strike a ball and score a worldy goal. And he just hasn't looked very good. I wonder if part of his quote to the media talking about this team is too old, we can't win a World Cup, is almost becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy for him where he's now not performing because he thinks that he's not going to be able to. And if he can perform like he does at the club level, he can be very damaging. Not getting a lot of help, though. And mm -hmm. he didn't play well individually in their last one against Morocco, but he's not getting much help either. 
Uh, Belgium, if they win, they're definitely into the next round. If Morocco draws or loses and Belgium wins, they win the group. It's crazy how it got, could turn, but it could. And they have the talent to make it turn. I don't think they can make it turn against this Croatian midfield. I, I think that that trio, Brozovic, uh, Modric, Brozovic has been so good in this tournament. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't see Belgium getting it done. So I, I think... Croatia gets a win. I think Belgium goes home and I think Morocco goes through no matter what they do with Canada. I, I expect them to at least get a result. Canada's never gotten a world cup point before. Do you think they get anything here? I would love them to, I, I would love them to because of the performance they had in the opener. I feel like that was such a tough one, a tough pill to swallow with the way that they played with the style that they had with the dominance in terms of the shot stats. And it would be amazing for CONCACAF as well, if they were able to pick up a point, it would sort of be something to make you smile, right? Because it's been a really tough tournament. I think the head coach, they need to find a way to get a point because he has been the Achilles heel of this team in a lot of ways. I truly believe the statements he made, the way he conducted himself, the lack of sportsmanship he showed has caused a lot of problems for this Canada side. And I think that he needs to step up right now and find a way to motivate his players in a different way because clearly the slander of the opposition didn't work. And I would like Canada because of the individuals that they have on this team, the likes of Alfonso Davies, who has worked hard, has broken history by scoring their first ever World Cup goal. It would be nice for them to go in with their heads held high, but Morocco's blooming good, aren't they, at times? Yeah, this Moroccan team is really good. They're, they're a matchup that I would not want in the round of 16 at all they they've got players who can win games for them in this tournament uh they're favored plus 105 against canada canada's yeah. plus 280 according to our friends at the FanDuel sportsbook draw plus 230 the croatia belgium game is completely even first time i've seen that in this tournament uh both teams are plus 165 to win the draw is plus 230 uh, I love that Croatia win number. I, I love that number. Because been, I what, do, again, I have to say, I feel like I say it every time when I hear these odds, they cannot have been watching the way that Belgium's been playing versus the way that Croatia has dominated in the midfield. Yeah. Now, the one thing to keep in mind with these kind of numbers is they're trying to generate action. So, mm. you know, they if they're the number is set to get people to to jump on it. Uh, the U.S. game, by the way, the number changed. Like we did the show the night before and the U.S. was plus 100. Before that game kicked off, the line had moved all the way to minus 105. That's a huge move in like 12 hours. Uh, group E, that's the other group playing tomorrow. Games at 2 o'clock. Spain is leading the group with four points. Japan is next on three points. They play one another. Costa Rica is next on three points. Germany is on one point. They play one another. Costa Rica is in a position to where they could lose the first game of the tournament, giving up seven goals, and they could get to the next round. Got to be a record, happen. right? Has to be a record. No team's conceded seven and got out the group. Surely, Jason. I, I can't imagine that it has <laughs> happened. Uh, I do not have that number in front of me. Um, and it's it's possible. Because, look, Germany has not been dominant in this tournament. Uh, Germany will control possession. I think these games are going to look like the first games that these teams played, 
where Spain will have a lot of the ball. Japan will try to hit on the counter. Japan should just start with the three center backs instead of yeah. doing it at halftime. Yeah. Get those wing backs high up the field, stretch the field against Spain. They're going to have to hit on the break and be dangerous. Germany's going to dominate the possession against Costa Rica. They're going to try to find a way to break out um, through Bennett, through uh, Contreras. They're going to have to find ways to get out and not just be bunkered in. Germany's got to show they can break that down. But if Spain wins and Germany wins, and they're the favorites, they will go through. If Spain wins and Costa Rica wins, Costa Rica will go through. If Costa Rica draws and Spain wins, Costa Rica will find their way into the next round. Now, the numbers in this group are very wild. Spain is a minus 260 to win. Japan to win is plus 750, and the draw is plus 360. Now, here's here's the Germany-Costa Rica game. Hmm. Germany is a massive favorite, minus 1050. The draw is plus 900. And if I had a squirrely juice box somewhere, stow it aside, I could see that happening. Costa Rica, if you're feeling really crazy, Costa Rica is a plus 2,000 in this game to beat Germany. These are some the wild wildest odds. numbers. The wildest odds. And I don't know. I think Costa Rica, if they can execute their game plan, can be dangerous. You saw yes. them execute it in their last game. Yes, the 7-0, but I think that was an anomaly. I truly believe when I look back at that game against Spain, it was guys that hadn't played in a while getting ready to play. That's how it felt. It felt like they weren't fresh. It felt like they weren't cohesive. It felt like they weren't battle-tested together. Obviously, Spain's quality also shined through. Let's not write that off. Spain were miraculous. It was a wonderful start to the tournament for Spain. But we've seen Costa Rica improve tenfold in the way that they've played and you mentioned you talked about right teams that have defensive players that can win games Costa Rica has and I think they can really frustrate the opposition by being defensively strong in this match telling you that draw at plus 900 that I I could absolutely see this game playing out in a draw with Kaylor Nava standing on his head turning back the clock one more time and frustrating Germany and Costa Rica somehow finding a way through. I do think Spain will beat Japan. I, I think yeah. Spain will make the possession count and be able to beat Japan. And Japan's been a fun team to watch. I just don't think they can get it done against Spain. Now, one of the best stories is what we're going to end on in this tournament. And I'm glad they didn't announce it beforehand because I think it would have created a circus. I'm glad they announced it after the tournament had started. Stephanie for a part. Famous referee in Europe. She will make World Cup history tomorrow as part of an all-female officiating crew for that Germany-Costa Rica game. Um, Hansi Flick was asked about this in a very disrespectful manner by the journalist in question um, about what he what he said about that, what he thought about that. She, uh, Hansi Flick said, I have 100% trust in the referee. She deserves it because of her performances. I hope she's looking forward to the game as much as we are. We all hope we'll see a good performance tomorrow. Yeah. It's typical, though, isn't it, with the media? They want to try and catch a soundbite that makes it seem like he's not respecting the female referee or he wants a controversial moment. I think that we've seen it normalized now. In MLS, we've seen several women uh, run the line, do jobs like that. We've seen referees in lower levels of the game here, and you've seen Stephanie become very well-regarded in Europe in the Champions League at different levels, and... Mm -hmm. It's about time, honestly, and it doesn't 
need to be as big of a talking point after today. It's fantastic. We're breaking through this barrier. It's fantastic that this will be the first. But after that, it's time to normalize it. Just how we're normalizing female voices in the game. Just how we have female play-by-play, -play, female color during the tournament. It's time to normalize it and give the gig to the best person, whether they're male or female. And it's an exciting step for the women's game. But soon it's not going to be a talking point, which excites me even more. And I think as, as the coach said, she deserves it. She's been quality. She's uh, commands respect from the players, but yep. she commands that respect, not because she's a female, but because she is offering the quality on the field and knows how to handle herself perfectly. She's one of the best referees in the world and she's going to referee at the world cup as she should. Uh, it won't be a story in the match. In my opinion, I don't think we're going to see any issues with that at all. And I think you're right. We will stop talking about these first as they continue to happen. They'll just become normal. We're back live tomorrow night after bills Patriots roughly around midnight. So it's a late one for Atlanta soccer tonight, tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe to the Off the Woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app or your favorite podcatcher. You can always listen to the show on demand, hear all of our bonus interviews. Got some special ones coming tomorrow for you, so be on the lookout. Thanks for spending some of your Wednesday night with us. Adios, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.